we've been studying now for almost two months, and that is the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah. Excellent. I'm so glad you're staying along. If you want to pull out those sermon notes, we have some bullet points that you can follow along with, and maybe that will uh, help us follow together. We're continuing this series of Rebuilding the Wall. And if you remember from the very, very earliest of messages, this series was about God's people doing something big for God. It was about a people coming together and people standing together and the people uh, working together, finding ways to solve this big problem. And that big problem was simply that their walls were in shambles. And we've watched them over the last few months start the building project and work against opposition and work against problems with other tribes and other people. We've watched them uh, embrace Nehemiah as a leader and we've watched him really grow as a leader. Well, we're in chapter 5 and for a moment, the whole building of the wall is put on hold. Because something else has happened in the life and in the community of this group. Something that has caused the building to to come to a halt, to come to a stop. Something has to be done because there's there's a crisis brewing. And it deals entirely with an injustice. An injustice. Now, when you hear the word injustice many things might pop into your mind. I know when I think of all the things we have in our society, all the things we have in our world, all the things we have in our community and in really every community, there are certain things that are unjust, certain things that are just not right. Uh, immediately to my mind comes those pictures of police brutality an excessive force on individuals that are posing no threat. If I had to think of what I see when I hear the word injustice, I think about the estimated 500,000 girls and women caught in the human trafficking industry, some of which is centered around our football Super Bowl. Football season begins this weekend and probably in many cities where games are being played, there are young women who have been taken from their homes and are basically being sold against their own will for the pleasure of spectators. Another injustice that really gets me, and you may disagree with me, who knows, you may have participated in some way, is payday lending where predators take advantage of poor people who are caught in a financial bind and they offer a loan at an exorbitant interest which continually perpetuates the problem with that family. I believe it's sinful, wrong, and evil. And I'm not even a Democrat. Card-carrying independent. (laughs) I play no favorites. According to some national and world economic surveys, 
a group of young people, a lot of young people, or 26,000 young people from 181 countries were asked, what do you think is the greatest injustice in the world? And they didn't even speak about people to people or communities. They said climate change and the heating of the earth's atmosphere is the greatest injustice of our time. Others that were listed were lack of employment, lack of access to clean water, government corruption, lack of education for girls and for minorities. If you just think about all the things in our world that are wrong, you probably have some in your mind, some that you've experienced. I got really revved up a few months ago when I learned of this phone scam against senior adults. Basically, people were acting as IRS agents or medical personnel, and they were squeezing out of vulnerable senior adults money that they didn't have, putting them further and further in credit card debt. Do you believe there are injustices in the world? There's things that are just wrong. Even this weekend, we were watching the news this morning, and in the areas around Miami and Fort Lauderdale, in the midst of an evacuated city, there's looting going on in hotels. People are being physically assaulted that are already evacuated from their homes. It's an injustice. And we, as the believers in Christ and the believers in God and those who believe there is a right and a wrong, we're so caught off guard by these horrific evils in our world. And we cry out to God, why don't you do something? Why don't you stop this? Why don't you prevent this? Why don't you bring this to an end? Because we feel very defeated. We feel very helpless. Well, in Nehemiah's day, an injustice had begun to brew. And it was against their own people, and it was done by their own people. And it was in the middle of a famine where folks were already starving and already struggling. And a group of individuals found a way to squeeze those who were already in hard times. Listen to the words of Nehemiah 5. I want to read verse 1 through 5, hit pause, and then finish through verse 13. See the injustice that Nehemiah and his day are dealing with. Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there were those who said... With our sons and our daughters, we are many. So let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. And then there were also those who said, We are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of this famine. And there were those who said, We have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers. Our children are as their children. Yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved. But it is not in our power to help it. For other men have our fields and our vineyards. Let me have you hit pause there so you can understand what's going on. Basically, Nehemiah is hearing the outcry of a group of people 
And the group is reporting to him what this injustice is. And they're saying that we need to eat, verse 2. We need to stay alive. And they're saying, but the problem is we got fields and vineyards and our houses all mortgaged to the max just so we can survive during a famine. Now, when you're a completely farming culture, a famine can wipe out everyone. Just imagine, friends, you don't have to go far to the east or to the west of Elizabethtown, and you're in complete farming communities. Whether it's corn or soybeans, whether it's any number of crops, can you imagine if there was no rain and you're already in a pretty hot and arid place anyway, there are no crops, there's no vegetables, there's no growth of any sort, eventually people are going to start to starve. And what do you do when your family's hungry and you're hungry? You do whatever you have to do. So you put your land up on a second mortgage or a third mortgage or a fifth mortgage. But they've even gone further. You see, the leaders, the nobles, the officials are squeezing this famine for all it's worth, and now they're even going as far as enslaving children as a means of buying food and grain. You may say, well, Shane, this is horrific. Can you imagine children being taken from their families and put into slavery so the family can eat? I can't imagine it. I've seen it. If you go to Southeast Asia, places like China, children will be taken as early as the age of seven and sent to the cities. And they will work in industries, some of which we have the products they produce called iPads. And they will work 70, 80, 90 hours a week in very, very unhealthy environments to produce for their family and living that will be sent back to the farming communities just so parents and grandparents can stay alive. You, you, the brothers and sisters who read this in the places of China, they understand this exactly because it's still happening today. It's still happening in many places. But Nehemiah, when he hears this, as a good God-honoring leader does, when he hears these complaints, when he hears this injustice, something brews up in him that demands it to cease. He demands for something to be done. Look back at verse 6. And I was very angry when I heard their outcry in these words. And I took counsel with myself. It means he thought about it long and hard. And I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. And I said to them, you are exacting interest, each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them and said to them, we, as far as we are able, have brought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations. That's the exiles coming home. But even you sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. And they were silent and could not find a word to say. Silence of guilt. 
So I said, the thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God to prevent the taunts of the nations, our enemies? Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting of interest. Return to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, their houses, and the percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that you have been extracting from them. And then they said, We will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And I called the priest and made them swear to do as they had promised. I also shook out the fold of my garment and said... So may God shake out every man from his house and from his labor who does not keep this promise. So he may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen, and praise the Lord. And the people did as they promised. I'd like to just make three very plain, simple observations about Nehemiah chapter 5. First observation is this, and it's already been mentioned in some regard. The world is full of injustice. The world is full of injustice. No matter if you think in terms of small communities, states, nations, continents, there is injustice in our world. Amen? There is evil things in our world. If you think in even smaller segments like cities and towns and neighborhoods and even inside of families, there are things that are done that are unjust, that are unfair, that are not right. And the world will never be rid of these things. As much as we hope for a utopian society where everybody does everything they ought to do, and nobody does anything that they ought not to do. As much as we wish everybody would be honest and upright and fair and reasonable and truthful, is it ever going to happen? No, it's never going to happen. There will always be things that come to our community and come to our state and our nation and our world that we will recognize as something sinful and unjust. We may see some, and there will be others that we never, ever see. And you may say, well, why is this? Well, here's my simple second observation, and it's the answer to why are all these injustices in the world. It's because people are in the world. Sinful people are always to blame for injustice. Sinful people are always to blame. Who was to blame in Nehemiah's day? The nobles, the officials. You've got you to just envision with me. These people have come back and they're building a wall. They're trying to put their city back together, their lives back together. They've been working day and night. They got men with shields and swords protecting them. Their sons and their daughters are working. Everybody in the community is working. And then it stops raining. And the food starts to get thin. 
And somebody in a back room somewhere, somebody in leadership and probably of the wealthy class says, we can take advantage of this. We can get more out of them. They're already in a place of vulnerability and then they pounce on them even more. It would be like, friends, if all of a sudden in the state of Texas and Louisiana and soon to be Florida, the government, the leadership, those in control decide now we're going to charge everyone to remove water from their home. Your house flooded, so be it. You now have to pay a tax for water to recede from your home. Oh, there's another way we can get you. Let's make sure if you need clean drinking water, you got to pay for it. And if you need gasoline, we're going to charge you $7 a gallon. If you need medical insurance or, or medical care, we're going to charge you five times the amount for a Band-Aid or for a pill or for something to help uh, injury. Can you imagine the outcry in our nation if a people were already in trouble, already in harm's way, already strung out to the nth degree, and then the government decided to start billing them for water removal, for medicine? Do you imagine how many people would cry out against this kind of evil? Well, Nehemiah seems to be surrounded by a bunch of people who thought this was a good idea. And Nehemiah hears from the people and he is furious. Because in his world and in our world, sinful people do sinful things. Sinful people in authority do corrupt things. And sinful people in any kind of leadership at times take advantage of those they lead. And sinful business owners sometimes take advantage of their employees. And even as it comes down to the smaller and the smaller and the smaller unit, you can be assured that corruption and evil and injustice will constantly be around us because all of those institutions are led by people. People do sinful things. Why? Because at our heart, people are sinners. I, I guess maybe the outrage caught some of you as it did to me a few months back when the makers of the EpiPen, for those who have severe allergies or severe allergic reactions, they moved that pen that can save their lives to over $1,500 for one. Now, did the company have the right to set that price? Absolutely. Did the Supply and demand dictate it? Yes. But it's unjust. Maybe you have recognized some of the trauma around political movements in the world. I find myself sometimes not wanting to watch the news about foreign governments because it seems as though there are grave injustices. Voters are threatened against their own life so not to make their voice known. Corrupt leaders who have been in place for years and years and years basically squeeze out any dissenters. I could name a few, but you know them. 
One's a really, really large country called Russia. But there are others. But you know that same kind of corruption happens in the United States of America. It happens in Frankfort, Kentucky. It happens in Hardin County, Taylor County, Nelson County. It happens in little communities and it happens in big countries because every one of those things are established and led by people. People are sinful. It's so easy for us, friends, to announce no one is perfect. And it's true. The Bible says in Romans 3, verse 10, there is no one righteous, not even one. Everybody has the same problem. You have the same problem. I have the same problem. Leadership, governments all have the same problem. And that problem is that no one is righteous. Not even one. The, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, that God looked down on the wickedness of man and he discerned that every intention of man's heart was bent only on evil. And they say, well, that's not me, Shane. I'm not doing anything wrong to anybody. I'm not trying to harm anybody, hurt anybody, outdo anybody. I'm just trying to live my life, just trying to be a good citizen. Well, even for those who have that as their goal, you still have a problem. I still have a problem. It's called sin. But can I share with you the answer to that problem? There was a man named Jesus who came to this earth without sin. And he lived a full life, 33 years, without sin. The Bible says that though he was tempted in every way, he was without sin. But his desire was to lay down his own life, his sinless life, so that all sinners would have a way to be saved. Can I tell you about him? His last week on this earth, he walked into a city called Jerusalem, and he was hailed as a king and as a hero. But within five short days, the crowds who lifted his name high chanted for him to be crucified. Can I tell you about him? And he willingly let his life be seized by an unholy government called the Romans. And he let charges be brought against him by the Jewish leaders, charges of blasphemy, charges of insurrection, of violence, of a revolt, none of which were true, and he never contradicted them because he came sinless yet to save sinners. Can I tell you about him? On a hill called Calvary... Uh, hill elevated over the city of Jerusalem, he let himself be nailed to a cross in his hands and his feet. He let himself be raised up in front of all who would see. And there he spoke to his father, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. At the highest point of that day, he committed his spirit to his father and he died. And on that death, it said the earth shook like an earthquake unseen before. And the veil of the temple in Jerusalem ripped in half. The Bible says that the earth was reeling over the death of God's Son. 
and sin was being dealt with, God, who is holy, was placing all the punishment, all the wrath of sin on His sinless Son so that you and I might be saved. And praise be to God, though He died, He defeated death by three days later coming out of the tomb. Can I tell you about Him? You see, we are all caught with the sin problem, but we are able to worship the solution of sin, and that's our Savior, Jesus. Governments aren't going to change. Societies aren't going to change. People aren't going to change. But thank you, Jesus, through Him, we can change. We can be made new. Nehemiah had a choice when he found out this information. And let me leave you with this last simple observation. When God's people are confronted with an injustice, they must react and respond. They must react and respond. Nehemiah called out those officials, and they were silent. They knew what they had done. And when he told them this will never be done again, you will not abuse your brothers and your sisters. You will not take their fields, not take their homes, not take their grain. You will quit taking this interest. You will give back what you have taken. The Bible says they committed and made a promise to do what they knew they ought to do, restore everyone. See, Nehemiah reacted and responded And you too will have options at times in your life where you see something that is wrong and evil and unjust and you will have a choice. Do you let it continue or do you react and respond? Do you engage it? Do you just let it go by? Do you actively try to bring light and hope and good and God-honoring things or do you just say, "Eh, it's none of my business, not my problem? You see, God-honoring people want to react to injustice and bring about His good pleasure. Several years ago, I got to observe something I thought was pretty miraculous. I saw a group of about 60,000 college students who had gathered in Atlanta, Georgia, come together to end something. The group of college students are called the Passion Conference. Students from all over the nation, really all over the world, gather together and they raised in just a few days something like $11 million to put an end to human trafficking and to the sex trade industry. They built places for girls in Thailand and in the Philippines, where girls could come out of this industry and have a place to live and be educated and be restored. And they did that all out of their own pocket, out of their own money. Not only that, but they sent people to work in these orphanages, these rescue houses. Now, the big joke was they're all 18 to 25-year-olds. And the big question was, where did that money come from? They don't have any money. Well, they apparently used their parents' money (laughs) because they had the debit card or had that credit card and they just swiped it on and on with the tune of $11 million. 
Were they able to put an end to the trade entirely? No. But today, some three years later, the statistics, while not perfect, there's something like 2,000 girls who've been rescued out of that industry. 2,000. Now, we would hope that there will be many, many more. But it took a group of college students swiping their parents' credit cards and putting an X on their wrist and then taking a picture of themselves in Facebook and other social media and saying, we will end it now. And it brought all kinds of attention. So much so, at that time, President Barack Obama called the leader of the Passion Organization and invited him to come and to speak to a group of government officials about how do you put an end to social unjust things. College kids at a conference. But do you know what was the unique definer about all those college kids? All 60,000 of them sold out to Christ. Never think for a minute Christians can't react and respond. And when we do it together, we're a lot more powerful than we could ever be alone. Uh, let's pray together. Lord, I pray that maybe today there will be men and women in this congregation who will say, I've seen something in my community, in my world, that's wrong, that's not right. And I want to be a part of the solution. God, whatever you're stirring in their hearts, I pray that you would give them faith and courage to respond and to react. And maybe there is one here today, Lord, that learned of a Savior named Jesus who died to save sinners like all of us. Maybe today, by faith, you're drawing them to you so that they can lay their life down and be born again through Jesus. Or whatever the response may be, I ask that you would help us today respond appropriately to you. I pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen.